When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Nats Insider Podcast for another week. Dan Kolka with you, and we've got a fun show for you here today. We remember what happened in 2019. Of course we do. Nationals went on that epic run to the 2019 World Series, and there is significance to May 23rd. That's a day in that season that the Nationals' turnarounds really started to come together. They got off, as we all remember, to that 19-31 and 31 start. Things were looking a little iffy, but they pieced it together. They got where they needed to go, and it all started, for the most part, after May 23rd. They got swept at the Mets in a four-game series. And then the next day started that comeback at Nationals Park with a 12-10 win over the Marlins. And they went from there to win a wild card, to beat the Brewers in the wild card game, to beat the Dodgers in a thrilling five-game series in the NLDS, to sweep the Cardinals in the NLCS, and then to win in seven games over the Astros in the World Series. Now, we decided here on the Nats Insider Podcast, why not relive all of those positive memories right around May 23rd? We can't time it perfectly because we don't know when you're listening to this podcast. However, we are dropping this podcast on May 23rd, the three-year anniversary of when things started to turn around for this Nationals club. And I decided, let's bring in a guy who was integral to that 2019 run, both in terms of what he accomplished on the field and also what he did off the field. That guy is Brian Dozier. Doge came to the Nationals as an all-star middle infielder, played six and a half seasons with the Twins, ended the 2018 season on the Dodgers roster as they made a run in October. Nationals signed him to a one-year contract going into 2019 to be their everyday second baseman. His numbers in the 2019 season are solid. He had an OPS plus of 98, so right around league average. Pretty solid round numbers here. Doge hit 20 home runs. He drove in 50, had 20 doubles, and 99 hits. How many guys in the history of, of the game? Dozier almost had 100 hits, 20 homers, 20 doubles, 50 RBI. Um, he ended up getting bumped from the everyday second baseman spot by Asdrubal Cabrera when the Nationals acquired him. And Asdrubal ended up playing pretty much every day at second base down the stretch. Howie Kendrick got some time there in the postseason as well. And so Dozier's role on the field got diminished a little bit. But inside the clubhouse, this guy was one of the more integral presences that they had. 
constantly smiling, joking with guys, but also having the reputation and the standing as such a quality big leaguer that played at a high level, he could talk to pretty much anybody on the roster. The guy is a fluent Spanish speaker, so he could interact well with the Latin guys on the team and just a great clubhouse chemistry guy. And it seems like every winning team these days has a guy like Brian Dozier that's able to bring everyone together. The Nationals had a couple of them, obviously. They had Dozier, they had Para, they had Anibal Sanchez. They had a number of guys that kind of led to this team getting along so well. But Dozier was right there in the mix. We all remember he'd hit home runs and hop on the back of Ali Modami, the Nationals batting practice pitcher, and Ali would give him a ride down the Nationals dugout. And Doge was great. We loved having him around, unfortunately, just the one year here in D.C. But I had a chance to catch up with him recently to look back on that 2019 World Series run and just recollect about how fun it was for all of us and pick his brain about what the season was like for him as well. So this was a a great conversation. I had a blast having it with Doge and hope you guys really enjoy it as well. So here now, 2019 World Series champion, Brian Dozier. Absolutely thrilled now to be joined on the Nats Insider Podcast by our old buddy, Brian Dozier. And Doge, before we get started, scale of one to a million, how excited (laughs) are you for this interview? (laughs) Dude, I was telling somebody that story the other day, man. That's so awesome. Freaking awesome. That's good. But I'm a million, still million, baby. Still a million. million million. That's right. Great moments at the parade, great moments all of 2019 that uh, that we're going to have forever and we can reflect on now. It's great to get a chance to, to chat with you, man. And I got to say, we're doing this interview over Zoom. You've got a shirt on, so I'm already shocked at the way things have uh, kind of gone in the Brian Dozier retirement life. Things have changed a lot. So has my body since I've been playing. They you ever see this gut? Golly. Uh, but no, yeah, shirt on for now. For now, let's keep it PG until, you know, maybe minute 27 in this. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how things go. Uh, yeah. Doge, Doge, it really is great to see you and talk to you, man. Uh, give us the update. What's life like for you now? You're down in, in Mississippi. You and Renee have two two young kids. You got a third on the way, you just told me. What's what's your day-to-day life like? Yeah, so it's, it's actually been awesome, man. It's uh, I wake my kids up every morning uh, about 7 o'clock get them fed, get them out the door, take them to daycare every day. We got a third one in the oven right now. So we got a boy and a girl, girl Reese, boy Rip, two and one. So we'll have the other one coming uh, beginning of August. So we'll have three under three. Uh, we just moved into our new house probably two weeks ago. And the golf game is struggling. Thought it'd be better by now, but uh, a year after retirement, but it's, uh, it's still got a ways to go. <laughs> that's all right you got you got a whole life ahead of you to, to work out the kinks and uh get those knockdown five irons uh, a little tuned up yeah no kid <laughs> um those i i want to get back to 2019 we got a lot to that we can discuss but i want to get back to that year you only played that one season here in dc in 2019 i'll just talk from my perspective and i feel like the fans perspective too and give me your thoughts on this it feels to me like you're a, a significantly larger part of the Nationals organization and culture than it would seem to j- just have a guy that was a part of the organization for a year. I know 
very special things happened in that year. But it feels like to me, and, and I feel like Nats fans would agree, that you made a much bigger impact here than only that one calendar year would indicate. Do you agree with that? Well, I think I think the biggest thing in all that that kind of gets kind of pushed to the side is the team we had was the oldest team in baseball by a few years, and which you don't see that much anymore, uh, uh, oldest team in baseball winning and actually getting a group of old guys per se with some young talent to get uh, together. But from my perspective is if you're a guy that signs a one-year contract, it's always kind of, you know, depending on your age, kind of tough, maybe tough to fit in or kind of get used to and acclimated to the city and to the, your players and the organization, how things are ran and stuff. But when you got a bunch of guys that I've been playing against for six, seven, eight years uh, and had, all-star games with and, you know, they had all-season stuff to get uh, – all-season stuff with and just became already – half the team I was already friends with before I even got there. And so – and half the coaching staff as well. So half – so coming into it, it kind of felt like I was already a part of something because it just messed from day one in spring training. It just seemed like I'd been there for a few years. So. Right. Was that the biggest factor, you think, in the, the camaraderie, the chemistry that you guys formed that year? Oh my God. I tell people all the time. I know, I know some GMs and owners don't want to hear it, but man, when you put a old, I say old team, we're 33, 34, 35, <laughs> but it wasn't that old, but uh, in today's game, it is. Yeah. And when you got a bunch of guys that's, that's been there, done that, know how to win, know how to lose. And it's not just on the field kind of stuff. It's, I mean, it's goes to like how to treat fans and the community uh, the clubhouse now, the club is know how to tip well, know how to take care of, I mean, everything. I mean, it all, and ever, when you got a bunch of guys that's been around doing that for a while, it makes everything just flow really easy. It's kind of like when we were the close to being the worst team in baseball through the first month or two. And it's like, you ask anybody in there, it's like, yeah, we got four months of this crap left. Just give us time. We'll turn around. So uh, that was our mentality. I think that showed up. And, you know, I got to saw, see a little bit of it, uh, being closer to you guys than, you know, people sitting in the stands per se yeah. in that you guys were, when you were on the road, you were going out to team dinners and it wasn't just, you know, the guys from the Dominican hanging out and going on a team dinner or the position players going on a team dinner and the pitchers are somewhere else. Yeah. It was the oldest guy on the roster with, with Juan and Vic. It was the Latin guys with the American guys. It was, Everyone on that team came together. Uh, there have been some some good groups here in D.C. in terms of chemistry, but unlike anything I've ever seen before, you've been on you know a handful of teams, and you you're a chemistry guy. Everybody flocks to you. Was that element of it a little bit unique? You think that it it was maybe not as fragmented as a major league clubhouse can tend to become? Well, a hundred percent. I remember even when I was coming up with the twins, I mean, the guys, the Jim Tomies, the Mornos, the Mowers, Joe Nathans, all those guys, they did the same thing. They never was like, hey, you know, two or three of us, position players, let's go, pitchers do their own thing. There's time and place for that kind of stuff. But it's the same thing here that we we tried to implement with the Soto and Vic and all these guys. Everybody, hey, group text, who wants to go, let's roll. And more times than not, almost everybody showed up. And uh, which makes for an expensive tab if you're a veteran, but uh, <laughs> especially we got a couple of guys that know how to drink a lot of wine, but, uh, but it's, uh, we had fun. We had fun. Every time we landed, we had fun on a plane, on a bus, uh, post game after a win. 
And uh, I mean, everything from top to bottom, we just knew how to have fun. You have to have that. So. Brian Dozier joining me on the Nats Insider podcast. And as, as you mentioned, Doz, you know, everyone talks about May 23rd, the, the point that it reached a bad place in terms of the, the overall record, maybe not in terms of how everyone was feeling internally, but the pressure that was surrounding you guys externally, the, the you know, rumblings here in the community, the media pressure maybe starting to ratchet up a little bit. At what point did you guys start to really feel like you were settling into a groove? When, beyond May 23rd, when did it really feel like, all right, we got this thing and, and we're catching fire and we're really starting to take off? Do you remember a specific point? When I lost all my clothes, that first celebration after, the, <laughs> after a win. <laughs> No, we, we uh, you know, right after the, I know everybody says May 23rd, that uh, that was kind of the turning point. We started winning some, but it wasn't until like that we actually got back in the hunt, I guess, back in probably in July, August, that down the stretch that, hey, we have a chance, we have a chance to win the division. And obviously the Braves were uh, doing really well, but we had a chance just to make it. We knew if we made it, all we wanted to do is just get an opportunity to get past you know, that first round, we just one knockout and be done because strictly because of our arms. I mean, we have three of the best pitchers in baseball. And when you have that in the postseason, you're dang near unbeatable. And you've seen that time and time again throughout the years. If you've got three arms that can go with anybody and we have that, then it's um, I mean, it was it's pretty unstoppable. So and we were and we, we battled out. We were able to win a lot of one-run games. I know we lost a bunch in April and May, a uh, ton of them, and those, that's easily flipped, and you're looking at a different story. But uh, but at the same time, it was it was a beautiful thing. And then, you know, there was maybe the signature win, quote-unquote, <laughs> the one over the Mets, the big uh, seven-run comeback in the ninth inning, the Kurt Suzuki home run that walks it off. And then to me, Doge, the last week of the season, you guys had, I believe it was an eight- or a nine-game homestand you had the exactly. Phillies coming into town. You had, I think, the Indians coming into town, I want to say, in an interleague battle um, yeah. and went undefeated on that final homestand. And to me, that was maybe a little bit of a wake-up call in terms of, like, I, you know, I know this team is good, but holy cow, these guys are red hot right now. And that's what everyone talks about when you get to October. You want a chair. You want a spot right. in, in that tournament. Right. But if you can go in riding a hot streak, you can really do some special things. And I think, at least from my perspective, that's when I was like, okay, every, everybody better watch out now. Yeah. Well, uh, the big thing about that was against an Indians team uh, that uh, was kind of down. And uh, I'm not saying rebuilding by any means, but just, you know, they had a lot of guys, a lot of call-ups and that they were playing and stuff. When you're finished, a, when you're finishing a, a long season against a team like that, it's very easy to, if, especially if you've already kind of quote unquote clinched the playoff berth, it's very easy to kind of just lay down and just go through the motions instead of like, hey, we need to step it up, ramp it up, you know, beat them, and then go into that to Milwaukee. And uh, and we did that, so we did a good job of that. Brian Dozier joining me on the Nats Insider Podcast. And we're a couple of years removed from that October run, Doge. Um, I want to ask you something that I don't think I've, I've ever asked you before, and I don't know to be honest, has gotten enough attention. And that's the way that you handled going from starting second baseman on an everyday basis to becoming more, a little bit more of a bench guy down the stretch and into October. 
I mean, you accomplished a lot in your major league career. You made an all-star team. You, you, you even hit 20 home runs in the regular season in 2019. But as Drupal took on more of a starting load as the season made it uh, down the final stretch and into the postseason, but nobody could tell based on the way that you were operating on a daily basis, the demeanor that you had, the way that you carried yourself. Some guys might not take that too well, but it didn't seem outwardly to bother you. Uh, what, yes. what was the key to that for you? And how did you process going from an everyday guy who had accomplished so much to being more of a bench guy down the stretch? Yeah, you know, the same thing happened the year prior uh, when I got traded over to the Dodgers. And one of the big things, <clears throat> I guess, coming into today's game is a lot of platooning, left, right, playing matchups and stuff, which is fine. And um, when I got traded over from the Twins to the Dodgers, we were stacked. I mean, up and down. We had uh, a six-man bench in the playoffs that every one of them made multiple all-star games and just guys with 300, 400 home runs. I mean, it was crazy. And it was all platoon. And so when I got over there, that was kind of my job to kind of platoon in the playoffs. And I, I'm okay with it and was able to, especially going to a National League team, which I'd never been a part of, just to see how you stay loose during a game and take swings and always be ready and that kind of thing, rather than just, you know, for seven years in Minnesota, I never even checked the lineup and knew it was leading off and boom, you just go out and just play. So everything was kind of different. And I think that helped a lot, uh, especially in, in D.C. Uh, when that time came after the All-Star break or after the trade deadline when we got his Drupal and he was red hot, he was smoking right-handed pitching. Um, and uh, so my job that down the stretch was to hit left-handed pitching. I was okay with it. Um, and, you know, even into the playoffs and the World Series, uh, I think uh, if I remember right, the Astros had one left-handed reliever, and that was just for somebody to come in and get soda. Uh, so I knew that I wasn't going to get too much playing time, but I was okay with it. And uh, we, were, we were, I knew we had a chance to do something really special with the group that we had. And any time to be a part of, of something that special, man, it's you just ride the wave, baby. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If I ask you now the moments from that October run that a couple years later stand out in your head the most, that resonate with you the most, what are they? Uh, I would say multiple things. Number one being uh, that I don't, I don't want to say that it gets overshadowed by any means, but Juan Soto's clutch hit uh, to, to basically win us the game against Milwaukee. Uh, battling, battling, battling. I know somebody, uh, I forget it was Kurt, or somebody drew a big walk before that off a hater, you know, the best reliever in the game at the time. And it, just that kind of moment, I remember – out of probably all the playoffs, that was probably the loudest and the most intense, like, 15 minutes of all the playoffs. And that 
and they were a very good team. We could look up that we don't lose that. I mean, we don't win that. Then Milwaukee could easily, you know, obviously win a championship themselves because they were that good. But that game, that moment was kind of the big in a nutshell. And um, another thing that the same exact, you know, being in the other dugout with L.A., uh, when Kershaw comes in, we did the same thing the year prior when Kershaw and one of the best pitchers of our generation and then <laughs> freaking lose one with a grand slam. Um, sorry, Kershaw. He's one of my best friends, but, hey, you got to do what you got to do. And that, that, that was just and Howie and what he's been through and his tenure in the game. And just those two moments are kind of like the, you know, whatever happened with the Astros and stuff, we, you know, we did what we had to do and got the job done. But you can even go to Corbin's coming out of the bullpen. And, you know, that's another guy that's starter, 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 only got to start a couple of games in the playoffs. And, and uh, for him to, you know, come in relief, and I guess the Astros multiple times and just shove. I mean, those three things are like the biggest, the biggest standouts, I guess, so to speak. Tons of good ones to choose from, for sure. Uh, I, I think a lot of people became aware of uh, Party Guy Doge as, as October was playing <laughs> itself out with the clubhouse celebrations and then the parade and you announcing to the world that Renee was going to kill you for taking your shirt <laughs> off on the, on the podium stage. Give yes. me, the, give me the sneaky, like other great party guys that, that maybe fans aren't so aware of that were really putting in good work throughout those celebrations in October. Uh, Sure's Sure's piece is a, uh, he is the more energetic outgoing partier. Like he's, he's, he's like the guy that, you look up and we've been partying, you know, we're at 2 a.m. and you're kind of tired, ready to go home. And he's that annoying guy. No, no, we're not going. You're not going. You're not leaving. He, he's that guy. Uh, he, Rendon is the exact opposite. He's the – he would rather party, everybody come to his house and sit on the couch with nobody around and just listen to a little music and party. Yep. Uh, but he will. He will. Uh Big bourbon guy, love him. Uh, but the thing about it, I mean, Sanchez, Anibal Sanchez, he's he's kind of the the glue to the party, so to speak. He's he's got you know, I've never seen him without a boombox. Uh, got the boombox everywhere, flashing lights, got the shades. You know, if we go to a, we go to a bar, he's already got his VIP. He's already you know, you can rely on him to have everything laid out. Uh, but there, but there's guys like I said, a lot of older veterans on that team that that's just been around, been around, done that, know how to take care of people and know when to, know when to shut her down, know when to keep going. So. And fans don't know one tenth of what actually happens it, it, with those celebrations. And we don't need to dive into it now, but I, I just, <laughs> I just want everyone to know that uh, these, these boys celebrated hard. They had, they had a great time. And some of those stories will stay, uh, will stay locked down forever. Yes. Um, uh, Doge, you, you came back in 2020 and you signed with the Padres initially. You ended up making it up to the bigs with the Mets for a few games. Then you made the decision to, to retire and hang them up. And you spent last year away from the game. Where's your head at now with how, you know, maybe you didn't have the type of baseball send off that you would yeah. have ideally wanted or just how you're feeling about the game and, and your life 
uh, a year removed from it at this point. Yeah. So I, I signed with the Padres um, and everything was going great. The pandemic hit. Um, I, I probably, I won't even get into it as some stuff that was kind of a handshake agreement, all this until something happened. But anyway, end up signing with the Mets when everything opened back up. Uh, seemed like it was a great fit. Everything was going great. And you know, there, we couldn't have her family up there. I couldn't see my daughter, couldn't see my wife. And that just took a toll on me, especially being in New York. And it was just like, uh, you know, I couldn't even go get a coffee without, you know, as, as you know, calling the doctor to be like, hey, can I do this? Is it okay? You know, it just, it kind of wore on me a little bit. And then once I got back, um, I got released by the Mets. And then once I got back, um, the Blue Jays um, offered me a one-year contract, find me up, big league deal, straight be the second baseman. I called them the, uh, that night before that I was supposed to fly out. I said, uh, I'd spent about four or five days at home. And I, I said, you know what? I, uh, I'd have to decline the offer. I got to stay home. And uh, especially with all that, everything that's going on and, them not be able to come up there with me. I said, um, my wife was pregnant with our second one at the time and about to have it in a couple months. And I was like, I, I, you know, we'll just regroup next year. Off season rolls around and, man, I, I, I talked to my agent probably like a month after um, the World Series. And I was like, I just, I don't know if my head's in it, man. I like, I like being at home. I like, um, you know, seeing my kids, putting them down, waking them up, taking them to daycare and everything. And, and you know, I, I've got some years in and I just, I want to call it quits. And he's like, well, give it time, give it time anyway. And then I finally announced the retirement. It's, it's the best. I, I don't miss the game of baseball, uh, playing baseball by any means. I know a lot of people always say they, they miss the competitiveness and all that. I don't, I can find that. And um, we started a bunch of businesses. Uh, we run a bunch of businesses for 10 years now, like when I first got called up to the big leagues, that's a competitiveness within itself, within, you know, within myself and then others and all that thing. I play golf. I get my competitive, you know, uh, that way. But uh, as far as the competing in the game of baseball, I don't, I don't miss that at all. The only thing I do kind of miss, um, and it's the same thing with, you know, winning a world series or going to the playoffs and that's all great and stuff. But I talk to these guys all the time. Uh, we don't ever talk about World Series or we don't ever talk about a game or it's it's talking about what happened, when we, you know, post-game celebrate, what happened, you know, at the bar after on an off day or, you know, just like just like stuff like that, like being good teammates. And, you know, and I, I just miss those conversations, those card games and those, uh, you know, those dinners and that kind of thing with the, the guys. camaraderie. Yeah, and uh, – uh, you know, I have my buddies here and we do the same thing, but you know, it's a little different, obviously city to city, but everything is great. Uh, we're enjoying ourselves. And I would love to, um, you might've saw it last year. I'd love to get into managing in the big leagues. Um, when that time, I don't feel called to do that by any means right now, uh, maybe in the near future, maybe later on down the line, but, uh, I think that's on the table sometimes. So. It's funny you mentioned that, Doge, because you always struck me as a guy from, you know, just the one year that I was around you and knowing about you a little bit uh, beforehand. As someone who approached the game maybe a little bit differently than some, you you taught yourself Spanish because you wanted to be able to interact with your Latin teammates. Um, You uh, were involved charitably in various communities that, that you were a part of. 
It seemed like you viewed the game from a broader perspective than just the day to day. I'm getting my four ABs today. I got to go face, you know, this tough lefty, whatever it might be. And I feel like those, the, the way that you viewed that might translate well to a managerial chair that, that you can, you can relate to a lot of people. You can view the game from a broad, through a broad lens. Um, and it, it, I, I'd never asked you that question before about what you were interested in doing next, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you feel like given those components, given the facts that you, your career arc and the variety of different, um, you know, things that you accomplished could suit you well for that sort of a position? Well, you said, you know, with just baseball and all the different components, <clears throat> as much as we try to make it just baseball, um, I mean, in your mind, it's just a game, you know, you just play, but it, but it's really not. In all reality, it's not that uh, you, you're, you're a public figure and you have to do, need to do certain things around the community and, and be, you know, bilingual and, and being able to communicate and, and bring everybody together and do that sort of thing. I've always taken a lot of pride in that. And then, you know, I, I was able to go to a few playoffs, so win a World Series, lose one, and play in American League, National League, and I've played for some really good managers and, um, and seem, you know, seem to know kind of what it takes in order to uh, manage a bullpen, write a lineup, uh, you know, uh, treat every man, uh, be a leader of men, not just of players, and treat every person, um, you know, differently as far as like how they needed to be treated, to give them a tap on the butt or chew them out a little bit and, you know, that kind of thing. And I've seen that just by learning from so many great players and, and managers that I played for and coaches, hitting coaches, defense, everything. And uh, so that's why I kind of uh, – I don't know about soon, but uh, maybe soon. We'll see. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get back to daddy duty in a second. I got two more final questions for yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. First one is I'm just going to say a name, and I want you to uh, give me what you got on this guy and provide some sort of perspective on what he's already accomplished and what he could accomplish. Yep. The name is Juan Soto. Uh. He is <clears throat> see how to put this. I'm not going to say that um, he can be kind of like a, uh, a Mike Trout, so to speak, just because, um, you know, Mike can run very, very, very well. Uh, he probably doesn't have the speed like Mike. Um he is a great defender and he worked his tail off to be in his, I imagine still working to be a better, better, better defender. But as far as like uh, the next upcoming face of baseball and somebody that uh, somebody that's young, one of the best players in the game, uh, that's a very humble kid, uh, knows how to go about himself on a day-to-day basis. You look at him, you think he's 30 something years old, not by what he looks like, just how he carries himself. Uh, an exceptional talent. One of the best hitters at that age um, that I've, I've seen in a long time. Reminds, reminds me a lot of like uh, Miguel Cabrera from the left side uh, during his heyday. Just to be able to cover both sides of the plate, left field, right field, center field, will pop every one of them and just an, an extraordinary – I mean, an unbelievable eye for the baseball as far as drawing walks and just the discipline he has up there. 
you don't see that at 21 years old, and um, that's a special talent. No doubt. Ryan Dozier with me on the Nats Insider Podcast. And Doge, I have been repeating this question to all the former big leaguers that have joined me on the podcast. I'll bring it to you. You had a long career. You accomplished a lot. Give me your number one favorite memory from your big league career. Number one favorite memory. Uh, I tell you what, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, the World Series, all that kind of stuff. I grew up literally idolizing two guys, um, Chipper Jones and Derek Jeter. And both of those I can call friends to today. When I was in Minnesota, probably my um, probably my second year in the big leagues. Yeah, my second year in the big Yankee Stadium. And I never met Jeter before. Uh, we played him. It's my first time playing him. I missed it last year because I got called up. And – it was the ninth inning tie ball game, and I'm at I'm at shortstop with the Twins. He hits a double, and he gets on second base, and I'm I'm like 0 for 30 at the time. Like I'm struggling, like struggling. Like I cried the the game before. I was struggling, and and he can see that, and just the way I'm carrying myself. And uh, we had a pitching change, and I go over there, and I'm like, I got to get closer just in case he says, "What's up, man?" You know. So I started inching closer to him, and he's like, Doge. He's like, keep your head up, man. He said, you're only one hit away to breaking out of it. And I was like, damn, man, you're right. He's like, yeah, hey, don't worry about it. Just one hit away. We go into extra innings. Runner at second base with two outs. I hit a double down the line to win the game. I get on second base, and I'm pumped. I'm looking at the dugout, and I'm like, I know Derek Jeter's looking at me. I don't know if I should look at him. And I, all of a sudden, I cut, turned my head to see what he would say. And he goes, told you, buddy, and just walked away. He was right there beside He was waiting for me to look at him. He's wow. like, told you, buddy. Just walked gave, away. Gave you a wink. He gave me a little wink. And, uh, like, little things like that just just stand out, man, that uh, the other stuff not fades away, but just little things that um, just stand out to me. So That's incredible. And that was after, as you're – in the process of beating his team. He still has. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. a stand-up guy he is and model growing up. So that's incredible. Brian Dozier, such a thrill catching up with you, Doge. We could have, we could have done this for like four hours. I feel I like. know, right? There's so much good <laughs> I'd stuff. I definitely had my shirt off then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, appreciate you taking the time, man. I'm so happy you're doing well and you're enjoying retired life for now. Um, and I'm glad you and Renee and the kids are doing well and wishing you all the best, man, and everything that you do. And, Hey, maybe we'll see you back in a uh, a big league dugout sometime in the near future. There we go. Sounds good, bud. Thank you, man. All right, Doge. That was a lot of fun to relive all those memories with Doge. Uh, So thanks to him for taking time with me and hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as well. So many memories that we're going to have forever, and Doge was right there in the middle of it, on the field, in the clubhouse, at the parade, everything. And uh, we look forward to having him back at Nationals Park for all of the World Series championship reunions that'll happen in the future. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoyed the podcast this week. Hope you did as well. And we'll talk to you guys next week when we drop our next Nats Insider podcast. Take care. Go big or go home.